Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. All right. Today we're talking about how do I know I'm depressed? You know, major depressive disorder is a really sneaky thing. Depression it, it, it's kind of like it stealthily creeps into your mind. It, it gradually tanks your mood and it harms your quality of life and it eventually just takes over. And there's, you know, a very important thing is to be able to recognize the warning signs which vary depending on your age, by the way, and it's the first step to at least seeking the right support that you would need. You know, uh, depression isn't, uh, a, it, it, it doesn't center around major and major depressive disorder. Just because that word is in it doesn't mean it's the worst depression ever. Uh, major depressive disorder is actually just a term for the clinical depression, you know, but that sounds really drastic to say major depressive disorder. But, you know, learn to spot the red flags in yourself and a friend and a family member. That can make a lot of difference in preventing the escalation of a depressive episode because once it starts, it just starts spiraling down and down and down. And the essence of depression is very interesting because depression is unmet expectations. We have all these expectations, you know, expect your kids to done their homework, the house to be clean, uh, you know, things to be in the right order, your finances to be in the right order, whatever. It could be a million things. Expect to have a better boss, a better job, better income, uh, expect to have lower mortgage. I mean, there could be all kinds of things you, you would expect and maybe expect in yourself that you're not making uh, happen. You know, if you're a procrastinator, that's depression. And so the bottom line is we really have to look at these unmet expectations, and this is just the thought aspect of depression, and convert them to prefer. I prefer. I prefer is so much better than an expectation because it doesn't have what's called a failure narrative to it. A failure narrative comes to every expectation that is not met, and usually the failure is you. And that's why the spiral goes down and down and down. It, you know, major depressive is simply is, is, and it's not just feeling sad or experiencing grief or being super drained of energy. Those feelings are totally valid. But like most feelings, they'll eventually pass. But major depressive disorder is often debilitating. And it presents as a cluster of symptoms. And for people, clinical depression won't go away on its own, and you can't just snap out of it. One of the things you can do is cardio, but if you did cardio, you won't feel like it. And so medication is usually what turns a person's mind out of depression. And why is that? Well, antidepressants are a wonderful thing because they manufacture or create what's called serotonin and dopamine. And serotonin is like the vehicle that rides across a highway and the sticky substance that creates the highway is the dopamine. And when you increase those amounts, we move from the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex. Instead of having uh, back alleys going to the prefrontal cortex, we have 
highways, major highways going there. And that gets built through an antidepressant. And once you build that, maybe six months, a year, whatever, you can actually withdraw from the medication slowly, like maybe over a month, just dabble down bit by bit, you know, chance by chance, just each day, drop it down a little bit. And as you drop it down, not each day, but each week, but as you drop it down, what's going to happen is your brain will make up the difference if you do it slowly. And so consider an antidepressant like a workout program for your brain. You know, melancholy and exhaustion are part of depression. You know, there's other things to look for, look, look at. Uh, sleeping, sudden crying spells, withdrawing from other people, hopelessness, irritability is a big one, especially in children, thoughts of self-harm or suicide, and more. And depressive episodes vary in severity and duration, and they, they have to at least last for two weeks or more to be even considered a major depressive diagnosis. But many people with clinical depression do their best to conceal it from anyone and they they may feel vulnerable and embarrassed for showing weakness or worry that their friends or their colleagues or anybody might judge them or or just plain ghost them which they often do cuz they get so sick of the whining you know sadness is 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 like the boogeyman nobody wants to support sadness in their life, it's very difficult to find that to be attractive because it's so weighted. And other people have depression too, to different degrees. And so when somebody is thoroughly depressed, they don't want to catch the cooties. I mean, can you blame them? No. So yes, major depressive disorder people get ghosted. It's not a negative attitude. It's not a character flaw. It's not a sign of weakness. Some people with depression can't recognize depression in themselves. They're too proud to look at themselves as depressed. And, um, you know, they're not necessarily imperceptive of themselves. And, and so symptoms can pop up gradually. And it's like a slippery, slippery slope. Before you know it, you haven't been to work. You haven't showered. You haven't changed your pajamas in three days. You know, classic depression Attributes like hopelessness and suicidal comments are easy to spot, but some signs are less obvious. You know, some things like not caring about the things that you used to, that you used to be excited about. Or, you know, if you haven't bothered to, to, to tune into some TV series you like or, or exercised or watched movies that you like, that's a warning sign. You're transitioning. Maybe you're not working out. Maybe you're not following a regular diet. And, and maybe you're eating fast food or a lot of junk. Well, that's an indication that you're getting more and more depressed. Also, if you transform into a negative person, you know, if your first reaction to any question is to just say no, and you can think of five reasons why everything will go wrong, that's major depressive disorder. You know, negative people are horrible when it comes to that. And depression can eat you alive. You know, it is a thought disorder, but it has genetic components. And I bet you could list people, person after person in your life and your history. If you know your family's history, you can you can probably list a lot of genetically linked depressed, if not other severe mental disordered people in your family. You know, also avoiding friends and family. That's another sign of depression. If you find yourself ducking social situations because you feel like you just can't Get the energy to hold up your end of the conversation or even smile or even pretend you're having a good time. You know, people with depression tend to socially isolate, which is uh, twice as harmful 
to your physical and mental uh, uh, capacity. And a lot of people become obese because they isolate. And that's what depression does also. Also, you have to notice a change, in, and you don't have to, but you can notice a change in your eating habits. If you notice yourself feeling hungrier or less hungry or weighing more or less, some people with depression turn to food while others lose their appetite because they feel numb or apathetic. And studies have found that excess fat is linked to increased inflammation, which could play a part in causing depression in the first place. Here's some other signs. You know, feeling exceptionally angry on a frequent basis or just constantly irritable. You know, we always picture people with depression as sad and morose, but there's another side. They're crabby, they're snippy, they're aggravated, and that kind of behavior is seen particularly often in depressed children, by the way, as I said before. And also, if they complain about aches and pains, that's another sign that a person is depressed. You know, research tells us it can affect physical health, too. In one study, nearly 70% of the people who met the criteria for major depressive disorder visited their doctors for mystery aches and pains and joint pain, bloating, backaches. Those are called somatic symptoms. And yes, depression comes with somatic symptoms. The other thing it comes with is anxiety. It's a two-sided coin, depression and anxiety. They both play on each other. You're either depressed because you're anxious or you're anxious because you're depressed. And so a lot of things happen with anxiety that correlate to depression. As its own diagnosis, anxiety has got its own problems. But we're talking about depression this time. You also in, increase drinking and drug use. You know, when people with depression are overwhelmed by feeling like they're sad or lonely or there's an anxious loser, you know, it's not uncommon for them to cope with a few too many beers, glasses of wine, whiskey shots, cannabis, you know, you get the idea. You know, if you look at uh, uh, anxiety and depression, 20% of people with anxiety or a mood disorder like depression have alcohol or substance abuse problems. They just want to avoid everything. They're also often super zoned out. They're distracted. They're not able to focus on work or home. And they, you know, if you notice you're losing your train of thought, those are common symptoms of major depressive disorder. And there's data indicating that concentration and memory issues can make the social ramifications of depression even worse. Some people have, with, even without a plan, they do have suicidal thoughts. And it doesn't matter if you have a plan to actually do it or if you're just daydreaming about it or talking about suicide more than usual or even joking about it, especially if that's not your usual sense of humor. It may or may not be a legitimate cry for help. You know, the fact that suicide keeps crossing your mind really could signify trouble. Remember, if you need help for, for yourself or someone else, you need to reach out. You do need to reach out. You need to get outside yourself because when you commit suicide, there's a series of other people who have to now embrace suicide into their schema of thoughts. And many of those get, are depressed and many of those enter pockets where suicide is an option and they take it. Also, kids of, of parents that commit suicide often have suicidal ideation because they're forced to because they had to deal with it as a kid. And so it creates a, a legacy of suicides beyond just yours. So that, that selfish suicidal aspect is the problem is you're murdering other people after you. 
You know, as much as we hate thinking about kids experiencing depression, the harsh truth is that around 5% of children and adolescents experience major depressive disorder at any time. You know, the number may be a whole lot higher now that we're through COVID. We're, you know, since the symptoms, we're not through COVID, but in COVID, you know, the, the symptoms aren't always the ones parents expect and they may not seek help. You know, along with the usual signs, kids are often irritable, frustrated, angry. They're on the edge. That's a symptom. They have frequent crying fits, temper tantrums. Sometimes they're aloof and not having any interest in interacting with their peers or classmates. That's more symptoms. They become really super sensitive to criticism and scolding. And they also complain of reoccurring tummy aches and headaches. And that is super signs of depression and trying to get out of uh, going to school all the time. After school activities, there's no play dates. If you see a decline in school performance, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, some teenagers do, like 9 to 13, they experiment with vaping and smoking and alcohol, you know, uh, marijuana. When they start experimenting with that stuff, that can spiral them into depression because like marijuana and alcohol, they are major depressants already. You know, let's get real. You know, teenagers also have symptoms that are a little bit different than kids would have. You know, most of the time they can they can channel the 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 angst of, uh, you know, self-instructive impulses uh, in a span of an hour. You know, it's due to their stage of brain development. Uh, many, at least many scientists believe that. Their anxiety and their fear responses are high in their teenage years. Their ability to regulate emotion is low. Their hormones are kicking in. The testosterone's kicking in. Everything, all the sexual aspect of their life is now kicking in, which is a primal motivator. And so the, they, they use um, maladaptive coping strategies like self-blame or catastrophizing or rumination, these are often signs in a teen that they have some sense of depression. Also, oftentimes they complain of headaches, stomach aches, and they argue or fight with families and friend, their family and friends. They, they start skipping meals, eating everything in the house. They miss class after school appointments. They self-isolate. They don't have any interest in social events. They, and they have an s- extended amount of time on the internet and in chat rooms. You know, uh, they, their hygiene often gets bad. They stop brushing their hair, brushing their teeth, skipping showers. They, they oftentimes will see their grades drop as a sign of major depressive. Maybe they're vaping, smoking, drinking, doing drugs. Maybe they act recklessly, like promiscuity, speeding if they drive, self-harm, like cutting. And they don't just cut on their arms, folks. They cut on their legs. They cut on their hips. They cut on anywhere they can hide it. And so you have to... You want to examine these people, these kids. You know, also self-harm can be an early sign of a person moving into what's called a borderline personality disorder. We won't get into that, but that thing is a mess. You know, talk or joke about suicide uh, is something that they do too. Sometimes they seek out uh, weapons or research suicide methods. That's why you want to track what are they into? What are they looking at? Now, older people... They have different signs, too, and it, it's, it, it isn't easy as it seems to spot it. But many older adults have medical conditions that they have, like heart disease or stroke, cancer, arthritis, which are really up there as, as disorders. 
And so they have medication that oftentimes can play on their moods and it can also spiral them into a deep depression. You know, uh, uh, restricted blood flow to the brain can cause delusional disorders, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, you know, maybe even Alzheimer's if you have that in your genetics. But, uh, you know, as along with the usual signs, the uh, older people often experience confusion, memory problems. So they may mistake dementia for Alzheimer's. They also avoid social activity. And sometimes they move in a sluggish manner or they make persistent vague complaints um, on a continuous basis. Or they demand assistance and frequently seek help. That's another person showing that they're depressed or they lose appetite or lose weight or they have delusions, hallucinations. Those are other signs of depression in older people. You know, major depressive disorder is a monster. And it's, it's not uh, surprisingly, it could be really difficult to ask for help when you're experiencing the symptoms because you're in the middle of it. You don't see it. Everyone else can see it, but not you. And if you don't do anything about it, that can cause some big problems. All right, so let's go on and we're going to talk about defining the symptoms so that we can recognize them. First of all, it's a great place to start a conversation about depression with your doctor because a depression, a, a normal doctor, most doctors, when they hear you say depression, they're going to do what's called a, a Beck depression inventory. And that will help them understand on a one to five scale how you feel. And that can help them understand your depression. But if you blow smoke up their butt, you're not going to get a real reading on whether you're depressed or not. And so, you know, but they can test and, and they can manage your symptoms. A general practitioner or, you know, anybody in that type of work can actually give you an antidepressant. Now, do you want to go for heavier medications? Probably not, but they can treat your depression with medication. And that can be enormously helpful, especially if you get like the sixth generation, uh, like Effexor and Wellbutrin. Those are really awesome medications, uh, they're, they're, they're probably the most evolved. But if you're getting a, 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 well, here's the funny thing about doctors. Doctors tend to prescribe the same thing that they prescribed after they left medical school. So you can tell if they're, they're doing Prozac, uh, they probably graduated a long time ago. If they're doing Paxil, probably a long time ago. If they're doing something like Lexapro, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago is when they graduated. If they go to Effexor, uh, you know, something like that, then then you, maybe it's five years ago. So you just have to understand a lot of these doctors want to do what they're comfortable with. And so when they prescribe, they'll prescribe what they've always prescribed because they've always seen the results over and over and over again. And they feel safe with that. So uh, here's the symptoms once again. Trouble concentrating, remembering details, making decisions. So if your memory, your short-term memory is poor, there's a good decision, there's a good idea that some depression is stirring around in there. If you have fatigue, fatigue is a big sign. If you're tired for no reason, I don't understand why I'm so tired. Well, that's often the case, the problem with a person who's depressed. They are feeling fatigued because they're becoming depressed. And so we have to uh, really understand what we're working with here. Also, feelings of guilt, because that comes with procrastination. 
they feel guilty, they feel worthless, they feel helpless because they're not meeting their goals. And that can cause a whole lot of problems. Pessimism, especially early morning wakefulness, that's a big part of it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time, or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about how to know that you have depression. A lot of people are so deep into the diagnosis, they don't even know they have it. It's, it's kind of because it's a slippery slope, it takes a long time. And sometimes things like grieving can drop you into depression and keep you there. And so you have to understand that that's a trigger. Also, medicine can be a trigger. Whatever your medicine may be, it may put you into a depressive state also. So you kind of have to watch out for that. Um, you know, circumstantial depression can happen where things are like getting fired from your job or, you know, COVID or, you know, there's just a lot of things that could trigger your life taking a desperately bad turn. And when that happens, we have to cope with that. And coping is not living. And when you have to cope and you compare yourself to where you were to where you are now, there is a lot of, of, uh, problems with that because you develop a neurosis and that neurosis all all of a sudden lands into depression especially over time there's other people that are like eeyore you know they're just flat Uh, that's called dysthymia 
And some people in those cases don't realize how depressed they really are, but it's a flatline apathetic depression. And there's a lot of people that live like that. They just are Eeyore. They drag everybody down because of whatever. Everything's always a negative prediction or just drag me along. Those people are very hard to live with because they're very weighted in their depression. And yeah, those folks need to get treated right away. Therapy and medication, big time. They need to see the light so they understand who they really are because you lose yourself to these diagnoses. You lose everything about your personality when you let these diagnoses take over and then if you're too prideful to face them, you will find yourself operating as a depressed person rather than the human being you were born to be. It breaks your will. It destroys your desires. It gets in the way. Everything becomes based on how you feel rather than what you think. And there are more negative emotions than positive ones. And so people that are depressed, their biggest thing is go take some action, take some responsibility for your depression, and stop dragging everybody down because you're too stubborn to deal with it. You know, restlessness is a big deal with depression because you feel what's called an existential angst. You don't know where your life's headed. You're in limbo. That's depression. You know, if there's loss of interest in, in pleasurable things like including sex, that's depression. Overeating or appetite loss, aches, pains, somatic pains, cramps that won't go away, digestive problems that never get better, even with treatment. You know, if you're sad all the time, if you're anxious all the time, if you feel like you're empty, empty and apathetic, really strong indicator that depression is there. Also, once again, suicidal thoughts, suicidal attempts especially, is a huge, huge indicator that depression is there. You know, your doctor's going to know when your symptoms started. They want to know how long they've lasted, how severe they are, if depression or other things runs in your family. If you have a history of drug or alcohol abuse, they'll also ask you if you've had similar symptoms of depression before. And if so, how were they treated? You know, if, if your doctor rules out the physical cause of your symptoms, they may start you on a treatment or refer you to a mental professional. And this specialist will figure out the best course of treatment. That's called a psychiatrist. And they may include medicines like antidepressants or a type of therapy or a type of psychotherapy. You know, you want to be prepared for the process to take a committed amount of time to get your life back. And, and you may need to try different treatments because it may be that the medication you try doesn't work for you. And there may be another medication that would be better for you. You know, it may take more than a month uh, for drugs to take their full effect, especially if you're going to take Prozac and, and Paxil. Those things take forever to metabolize. You know, depression and also getting off them takes a long time to metabolize. Um, depression carries a really high risk of suicide. So take this seriously. When someone starts talking about it or their intentions are serious, there's a warning sign. There's a lot of them. They go from sadness to an extreme calmness and appearing to be happy. And she's like, oh, they're finally better. You know, they're always thinking or talking about death. That's another indicator that a person's suicidal. You know, if they have a deep sadness or a loss of interest, uh, start giving things away, that's a good sign that somebody's 
in that suicidal thought process. You know, also, some of them are want to do suicide by uh, taking risks that could lead to death, such as driving through red lights or making, you know, comments about being hopeless or helpless or worthless, you know, or they start putting their affairs in order, like their will and they, you know, tying up loose ends, you know, uh, saying things like, I would be better if I weren't here or I want out or they talk about it. You know, or they visit uh, calling on close friends and loved ones all of a sudden where they didn't before. That's a sign that they're planning a new out strategy. You know, if someone you know shows signs of those signs, and especially that calmness before the storm, that calmness, if you see that, that's, that's not an indicator they're always better. Sometimes it is. But it's an indicator that they may have actually settled down into the idea that suicide is okay. So you got to be really careful with that. There's also therapies that are non, uh, non-medical. There's electroconvulsive therapy, which, uh, you know, do you know if, if people don't get better with that, the medicine might be their next approach, um, especially people that have severe depression. Um, they need treatment right away. Um, then there's this uh, trans uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation, and that involves using a non-invasive device that is held above the head to induce magnetic fields, and it targets specific parts of the brain that trigger depression, and it breaks them up. There's also this vagus nerve stimulation, and that's a pacemaker-like device, and it's surgically uh, uh, un- implanted under the collarbone to deliver regular impulses to the brain. Some say that works. You know, but the signs are there's no pleasure in life. Your will is broken. That's a strong sign of depression, and they may not enjoy things they once loved, and they may feel like nothing can make them happy. Oftentimes, depressed people feel trapped in their life, like there's nothing here for me. Everything is here for everybody else but me. You know, uh, their concentration can be a big problem, as we talked about before. Everything feels hopeless. Self-esteem is often absent. Uh, You know, self-love is learning how to say no to things that hurt you. Depressed people don't. If you think about depression in this way, especially anxiety and depression, if you drop somebody that is depressed or anxious into the middle of a jungle, a dangerous jungle, could they afford to be anxious or depressed? No. We are depressed and anxious in this day and age more than any other day and age than before because we have too much time on our hands. We are not having to think our way out of the box. We're not having to watch out for our survival. We are safe. And when people are safe, they're lazy. And when people are lazy, they have a tendency to do more lazy. And when they have too much time on their hands, due to our emotional uh, faculties being mostly negative, we have a tendency to develop negative narratives about us, the world, and everything else. And so what happens is we get lost in that. And so we have to understand that we need to get back into the jungle if we want to make our life good. That means do something hard that makes your life easier. Do something hard that makes you jump in and have to create and use your will to find a way through it. And that is what life is. One leap of faith after another. Depressed people do what they fear, not what they think. Anxiety is fear. So they are living in fear. We're not meant to live in fear. 
we're meant to live experientially. Leaps of faith, one leap of faith after another. And then ignite our will to complete because depressed people procrastinate, put things off and never finish. And that's a big problem with their self-esteem because they develop that narrative that I'm I'm going to basically self-defeat. All right, so what causes these signs of depression? Yes, genetics. These mood disorders like, like anxiety and depression run in families. Through family history alone does not mean a person will get depression, though. Also, life events like major changes, stressful events may trigger depression, may, may help you feel that your life is out of control. You know, the way – if you look at things like depression and anxiety – This is how people tend to cope with things they cannot control. In life, we are not meant to control a lot of outcomes. We are meant by by the majority of all the things that happen in our life, we are meant to influence. We are not meant to control outcomes, especially when it's involving other people. Another thing that happens with depression is hormonal changes, you know, like menopause, pregnancy, Premenstrual uh, disorders after pregnancy, you know, that, that's, those hormonal changes can cause enormous amounts of challenges with depression. There's, uh, there's also like people that experience long-term pain, diabetes, heart disease, you know, they may like, they more likely are going to develop depression. So sometimes these, they start abusing drugs and alcohol and, you know, that's called a suicidal life. And I will tell you that most people die of all kinds of diseases, but they die because they lived a suicidal life. They did destructive things to themselves that eventually ended up in them passing, which is what they subconsciously intended in the first place, to die. So they don't do what it takes to survive. They don't stop smoking. They don't stop taking drugs. They don't do what's healthy. They do what's unhealthy until it kills them because they're depressed. And it's sad, but they don't help themselves. There's... Uh, Bipolar disorder, by the way, is a form of depression, but it also is a crazy maker because it's got mania in there, and suicide is a manic act, meaning the mindset of a person that is suicidal is they're in pain. They're in a pain that they can't get a medication to heal. Nothing can solve it, and they just stay in that pain. And as they sit in that pain, the only thing they can think about is themselves. They don't think about other people. They don't think about the consequences. All they think is, i got to get out of this pain because I can't be the man or the person I was. And so that's one of the biggest challenges with suicide is pain. It's pain management, if you think of it from that quality. But also depression, they think, is pain management, but it's not. It's depression, and it can be helped, and it can be healed, but you've got to take it seriously, and you've got to face it. Now, women are susceptible through cultural expectations, differences in experiences, having life events that are traumatic, biological factors with their body. You know, there's all kinds of uh, uh, things that can drive depression. And depression doesn't have to be the only diagnosis, by the way. It can be a dual or it could be a multi-layered diagnosis on top of other things. But, you know, there's things like neuroticism, which is being in a, a negative emotional state, is a very strong cause of depression. So a person who stagnates their life doesn't take any chances, doesn't take any leap of faith. They just drizzle away themselves by looking at all the negative things about themselves in their life. You know, some people have marital problems 
And that causes depression because they don't solve their arguments. They don't solve their differences. They don't embrace who they are. They don't even want to hear each other. You know, marriage is about listening. It's about listening to each other and it's about embracing each other's emotions and embracing each other's differences and making room for both people and your children. You know, also with women, you know, girls who have family history depression are actually more likely to experience depression at puberty. And women in depression have more severe symptoms during their premenstrual phase, uh, especially if they're already taking antidepressants. And then there's postpartum after pregnancy. It occurs uh, about uh, one in seven women. And then there's menopausal transition, you know, which increases depression. And uh, uh, women have two to three times greater risk of getting depression during this time, even if they've ever had depression in the past, when they're going through that menopausal state. Now, with men, oftentimes indicators is childhood sexual abuse, drug abuse, prior history of depression, or major stressful life events. That's usually the causes for men to go into depression. And men may be more likely to become depressed as a result of failures to achieve goals in life and low self-esteem, like financial and legal issues, career problems. That's often found to cause depression more frequently in men than women. And also uh, uh, losing a job or, or worrying about failing as a provider is a really strong example of what may trigger a major depressive episode in a man. You know, it, depression in men um, also can be different. Uh, they're more likely than women to experience anger, aggression, risk-taking um, as their behavior. And it's commonly thought that women suffer from depression more frequently than men. However, there's been studies that show men and women may both equally suffer depression, but men are too prideful to admit they have the depression. You know, traditional symptoms of depression, sadness, crying, may be more frequently hidden or not reported by men. So some may feel these symptoms can go against society's idea of them being a man. You know, you got to see your doctor when stuff like this becomes pervasive. You know, if it's affecting your job, it's affecting your, your ability to communicate, it's affecting your ability to connect, to have a life, that's that's where depression plays its, its big role. Here we are entering into the darkness of the winter. And I will tell you, seasonal depression, especially during COVID, is very, very, very real. The lack of light, the, the lack of vitamin D, very big deal. We need to take care of ourselves during the winter. You know, cardio, 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 cardio. Antidepressant, antidepressant, antidepressant. You know, we make, we make our worst decisions when we are emotional. Our worst decisions are when we're emotional. And when you're depressed, everything is a feel, 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 feel. And all you want is to get out of your depression. And if you're too proud to face it, then what are you going to do? You're going to feel, 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 feel until you destroy your life completely and all your relationships. You know, uh, uh, also big events, sad events really can mess people up. The good news is depression is very, very treatable and you can seek professional help from a doctor or a therapist. And there's lots of things you can do on your own. You know, uh, one of the greatest things you could do is learn more about what depression is, what causes it 
and then actually let yourself do cardio. Start taking care of yourself. You know, most of us feel sad or lonely at times. You know, it's normal uh, reaction to loss or struggles or injured self-esteem. But when these feelings become overwhelming or they cause physical symptoms and they last for long periods of time and they're pervasive, they can keep you from leading a normal, active life. And so we need to face this stuff right away and seek help. A regular doctor, great to start there. But once again, you know, finding a therapist and actually being referred to a psychiatrist may be the better thing so that you can heal. You know, depression uh, uh, basically is an epidemic in our Stone Age brains. There's, There's an undeniable connection between lifestyle and depression. The modern lifestyle is making us sick. You know, the more modern our society becomes, it removes itself from being the primitive hunter-gatherer way of life. It's higher our rates of depression get as the lazier we become. And so, you know, the world has changed phenomenally. Our lifestyles have changed along with it. And our brains have hardly changed at all. They remain remarkably similar to the ones that powered people in the Stone Age. When sleep was abundant, food was nutritious, people wandered in groups, constantly on the move, in the sunshine. But our brains are beautifully crafted to support Stone Age bodies that live in Stone Age lives. And so we have to accommodate that. That means we have to become more active. We have to use our brain and be more active with our brain. If you don't, it becomes lazy. It doesn't manufacture the dopamine and serotonin it does. It needs, and we lose our ability to survive. And it, it comes through in all parts of our life, including our relationship with our spouse, our children, our employer, and everybody else. You know, in the, in the parts of the world where the hunter-gatherer tribes lead similar lives, the levels of depression are almost zero. So, wow, what does that tell you? They get past, they get plenty of sleep. They have physical activity and sunlight, and they have plenty of distractions to keep them from being trapped in the heads uh, by, of endless negative thoughts. They have a diet that's rich in omega-3, and their social connectivity is vast. You know, the, they have a much more powerful effect on the brain than any medication is their lifestyle. You know, uh, uh, we can, you know, we can keep these brains happy. Our brains can change and we have a capacity to change them. The key is to finding the most effective ways to do that. You know, the chemistry of our brain is very responsive to what we do for better or worse, depending on the choices we make. And we can deplete it or we can enrich it. You know, in in preliminary clinical trials, comparing the effect of lifestyle changes against antidepressants, researchers actually found that lifestyle choices uh, brought about a reduction in depressive symptoms, almost three times that experienced by the antidepressant group. You know, there's some very primal lifestyle factors that have been proven to protect the brain against depression and reduce depressive symptoms. And uh, what are those? What are those things? You know, it's, it's very important to, to look. You know, we eat plenty of omega-3. We're going to have good fatty acids. Your brain is full of fat and blood, but it's full of fat. It's a big fat organ. And the construction of the brain cells and insulation of the nerve fibers have to be there. And that comes from omega-3. And many of the fat molecules needed by the brain are made by the body. 
but there's some that that can only be drawn from your diet. And some of the best sources is salmon, wild game, grass-fed beef, nuts, seeds, leafy vegetables. So if you focus your diet there, you might have a better shot at having a better brain. That's a big deal, guys, and you need to take it serious um, because you are what you eat. And it does beautiful things, omega-3. You know, it's uh, what hurts it is sugar. You know, sugar is addictive and it lights up the brain's reward circuitry in a similar way to like cocaine. So it it activates the release of inflammatory hormones that causes all sorts of trouble in the brain. It also suppresses the activity of a growth hormone that is vital to our health and and the happy firing of our neutrons. So we really have to understand, uh, neurons, sorry, uh, we have to understand that our brain needs this stuff. You know, the greatest benefits to omega-3 is is uh, is the compromise of about 60% of EPA, which is elastic uh, pen, pentanonic acid. And uh, very important for us to gather that stuff. We need to take care of our brain as much as we can. And a risk factor for depression is what's called rumination. And it's dwelling on negative thoughts over and over and over. Well, that programs, that rumination of negative thoughts, preparing for negative outcomes, fear, 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 catastrophize, catastrophize. The brain will go automatic into that and it develops a path and it reinforces itself because we're ruminating over and over on the most negative possible catastrophic things. Well, guess what would happen if you go to I have faith that. I have faith that things are not going to be as bad. I have faith that we're going to enjoy ourselves. I have faith that we'll get through the experience whether we learn something or don't. I have faith that it's worth taking a risk. I have faith that it's worth saying this, you know, just doing what you don't normally do and doing something that may be a risk is actually good for you. And it's good to stretch your life. But rumination will destroy the brain. Rumination will distract you and it will destroy your ability to remember. But the biggest part is it destroys your ability to be here and now and alive. It's coping, 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 coping. That person is not there. You will tell them something that they need to do over and over and over again, and they ignore it and forget it because their brain is so preoccupied with their own self-preservation. You know, if you spend regular time with people that care about you, you know, if your tribe is looking a bit sparse, you want to force yourself to join a group. Anything where there are people, you know, a book club, an art group, an exercise group, a drama group, yoga class, whatever. You might not like feeling it, but it, but it will make a difference. People were meant to be people. Just make sure they're people who deserve you, not people who drag you down. You surround yourself by negative people with bad habits. You're going to end up taking up those bad habits or having to tolerate them or make room for those bad habits in your own life. But, what you know, the big deal is cardio. Cardio changes the brain. It's one of the most underutilized antidepressants. Our brains were never meant for sedentary lives. When weather were active, we need to have serotonin and dopamine. Cardio, cardio, cardio creates that. 60% of a mild depressant is a 20-minute brisk walk. Wow. 
What if you did that? Stop doing what you feel and did what you think and then check in with how you feel because that's what your emotions are meant to do. They're meant to motivate you. You choose the emotions that will work for you. You're supposed to have emotional intelligence, not just living in your emotions and your paranoia and your despair and your delusions. No, you and cat catastrophizing, we need to pull our brain back and become active people in our lives. You know, if, if you take, you know, brisk exercise three times a week, every day, I would say, and get some sunlight or at least the light that creates that same effect, that would be very helpful for you. Also sleep, blissful sleep. The REM stage of sleep is the reset button for our next day because it will elicit through a dream that it concocts all of the emotional content that we didn't express in the previous day. So dreams are about what's called repressed emotion. And those repressed emotions, if they're not let out, then we don't reset into the next day. So the brain is meant to elicit insecurities, problems, things that elicit the emotions that we we don't like, our anger, whatever. It lets it out. It lets the steam out for us. So getting good sleep is critical. You know, disrupted sleep is one of the most potent triggers for depression, And there's a lot of evidence out there that that most episodes of mood disorder are preceded by several weeks of lack of sleep. And so, you know, taking care of ourselves in that way, very important. Melatonin, 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 big time will help you, but don't take it in the light. Take it when it's dark because melatonin is triggered by light. If the brain registers light, it won't pull the melatonin. So take it in the dark and then allow the melatonin to metabolize and don't watch TV or do anything like that. Let the melatonin work and it'll knock you out. You know, if we can get eight hours of sleep in a night, that would be incredible. But you need to make sure it's dark. Minimize light from appliances, things around you, noises around you. If you struggle to fall asleep, try a warm shower before bed. Spray lavender in the room before you settle. These kind of things can help you. Very important. Important, You know, de- depression doesn't always happen in isolation. And sometimes it can be triggered by medical conditions, like I said, like diabetes or, or sleep apnea or thyroid or heart disease or chronic infection, hormone imbalances. We need to keep all of these in mind for us to eliminate depression in our lives. That's our show. I'd like to thank you for listening. I love hearing from you. You can do that by our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, if you feel that nobody cares you're alive, try missing two car payments. Also, why is life so expensive if you're not having fun? Also, apathy is the opposite of love, not hate. Depression is apathy. So take some responsibility rather than blame everybody else for your misery. Also remember, you choose to resent doing things you don't like or have the opportunity to get to do something precious, something important. Why don't we do, why don't we look at life like, hmm, I get to do this. I get to spend time with my kids. I get to work. That's the way people think when they're not depressed. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. 
Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 